I want to say that it is good to see everyone that's out with us this evening. We're glad you've come to worship God with us. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you might be able to use as you go along life's way. I appreciate all the hospitality that has been shown to me so far this week, the food that's been fed. I, I feel like a baby. I think I get fed every two hours. <laughs> so I don't know. But we're probably going to have to go shopping for some bigger clothes if this keeps up. But uh, I do appreciate it very much, and I thank you. Those of you that are visiting with us tonight, we certainly appreciate you being here, and hopefully we can say something that might be able to encourage us as we go along life's way. I want to ask you a question, and I don't know if you get asked this very often, but why are you here? What's the purpose? Something has motivated you to be here tonight. And I don't mean just particularly here, maybe your Christian service. Why do you do that? You know, there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of other things that you could be doing. Have you ever asked yourself, why are you here why am I doing the things that I'm doing? What is the motivating factor behind that? You know, this question came up, John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus made an observation about the people. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Then he told them, Labor not for the food of the earth, but things above. They came because they could get fed. You know, times were tough. It was hard to make a living. There, was, there were times in the Roman Empire people would literally starve to death. And here they found a fellow, they come and you talk about make a little bit go a long ways. He could do it. And he fed them all. And they were thrilled with that. But they were not following Jesus because they were just in love with Jesus or they were in love with his teachings. But they were following because he filled their bellies literally. Why are you here? Years ago... I, I hate that a lot of these young people didn't get to meet Brother Sam Potter. You would, have, you would have enjoyed him a lot. Sam was a teenager, and his dad, Coy, did what a lot of the older men do, decided he needed to put on a program where the young men could learn to speak, Sam being one of those young men. And Coy decided it'd be a good idea to break the ice. Just get up here and tell us why you want to learn to do this. Why are you here? I love Sam's answer. He got up, and I imagine Coy did too. He said, I want to learn to preach so I don't make the same mistakes you older ones do. <laughs> well, you know, that had to win friends and influence people, didn't it? If you'd have known Sam, you'd have known that that was the way he was with a sense of humor like that. I remember the first time I ever heard about Jesus that I remember about it in church. I think I was about 10 years old. And I went to this church where my dad went, obviously. And this man was a preacher, and he would get up, and he, we, we had a pastor, and he would preach, and he preached about different things, and that was okay. But you see, what he had done in real life, I love that one, what he had done in real life before he was a preacher was he was a fireman. And one day, we went to church, and he preached on hell. And he talked about the people that he had seen burned to death. And I want you to know when he preached on hell, you could smell the smoke and feel the heat. Being an ex-fireman, he knew what he was talking about. And I didn't think he would ever shut up. I couldn't wait. I didn't wait for the fourth verse of the invitation song. The minute they started singing, I rolled down that aisle. And I'm telling you right now, I wanted something to do with this Jesus because I didn't want to go to that place that he just preached about. 
And I was motivated purely out of fear. It scared me to death. Maybe that's what motivates us. I've told folks when I was young, I had a drug problem. My dad saw to that. I got drugged to church on Sunday morning. I got drugged on Sunday night. I got drugged on Wednesday. I got drugged to revivals. I got drugged to tent meetings. I got drugged to singings. Wasn't particularly willing participant in all this dragging. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, things begin to take hold. What's motivating us? Why are we here? What are we wanting out of this? You know, we're not the first ones to ask, what are we going to get out of this? In Matthew chapter 19, verse number 27, Peter tells the Lord, Lord, we've left all for thee. We've left houses and lands and family. And essentially he says, what's in it for us? Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Basically, what are we going to get out of this? And the Lord told him, nobody has ever left those things that is not going to receive far more than he gave up by following Jesus. But Peter wondered that question. Maybe Peter was the one brave enough to ask the question to the Lord. You know the others thought it. But Peter said, what are we going to get out of it? What are you going to get out of this being part of the church and being a, a Christian? What are you going to get out of coming to these meetings and things like that? What are you wanting to get out of it? In 1 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians actually. Chapter 13, verse 5. I got a 50-50 on this one. So if it's not first, look at second. But it says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. What, know ye not your own selves? You ever took a good accounting of why you're doing this and what you're doing and how you're doing with it? You ever been really honest about it? Back in the days when I coached the boys in football, I'd gather them around and I'd tell them, fellas, you go out there on that field and you give the best you got. And I want you to understand there's going to be times you're going to go on that field and you're going to play your heart out and you're going to do the best you can and you're going to lose because the others are just better. Maybe they're bigger, faster, or stronger. But you give it the best you got. And then I would tell them this, and maybe old Marlon needs to take this advice. When you go home after that ball game, if you did the best you could, you will never hear me complain. But you look in the mirror and you tell that fella you did your best. And don't you lie to him, because you can't lie to him. He knows whether you took a few plays off. He knows whether you were going 100% and you carried your part of the team. You know, as a Christian, we ought to examine ourselves. Go look in the mirror. How am I doing? Why am I following Jesus? Why am I doing these things? You know your own selves. You know the most dangerous thing in the world that you can do that's going to cause more people to be lost than anything else is self-deception. People deceive themselves. Years ago... I had this little travel trailer, and on the front of it, it had this star. I thought it was cool. I painted the star. But I can't paint. I can't draw. That's why you don't get charts. You know, Pat Manning used to say, Marlon, you got to be careful. You can overuse humor. And I said, well, Pat, some of us can't draw in this chart, so we got to do something. 
And I, I'm not very good at that thing. But I had a brainstorm and I decided what I'm going to do. I bought a piece of styrofoam, yeah, about yay thick, you know, not real thick. And I went to the cooking section, I guess it is, of a store, department store, and where these ladies get these cookie cutters with different shapes. You couldn't believe color, some of the shapes and stuff that they'll put cookies in. You may not want to eat all of those once you see them come out, but they had a star, the right size. I took that star and I shoved it into that styrofoam, and when I pulled it out, it was the shape of a star, and I just put my paint over it. It worked out perfect. But you know, that's the way people try to do with God. We want to shove God into our mold. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, I can't serve a God like that? If that's what you believe God thinks, I couldn't serve a God like that. Shove him into your mold. We want God to fit what we think God ought to be rather than what God is. And people deceive themselves thinking that they're going to be able to get away with that on judgment day. Listen to the media. Somebody brings up something about the Bible and they'll say, according to your, according to your interpretation. Like anybody's interpretation is okay. It's just going to be fine. I read a, a self-help book years ago called, You're Okay, I'm Okay. I had a fellow tell me one time, Martin, we're all trying to go to the same place. We're just using a different canoe. I go, I know we're going to the same place. We want to get out of that canoe. Think about that one. any rate, <laughs> the bottom line is, don't deceive yourself. Be honest about where you're really at in your service to the Lord. James 1.22 be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Years ago, many of y'all didn't get a chance to, some of the young ones, to meet Brother Truman Teal, hear him preach. I was a young man, hadn't been Christian very long, and I had heard Truman preach on a subject. And I thought it was the easiest. I mean, he made it sound so simple. I mean, a five-year-old could understand that. And in fact, I was so enamored with the way Truman had presented his subject that I thought, I can't wait for somebody to ask me about it. Because that's so easy. Now, Truman ended his sermon with, don't worry about this fellow, worry about yourself. <laughs> Three weeks later, somebody knocked on the door and they asked me about that thing that he preached on. But I didn't go and read it. I didn't study it for myself. I thought I knew it. And the only thing I can remember is don't worry about it. <laughs> Wasn't that impressive? <laughs> you know what I decided? Maybe we ought to be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know what? You can come and hear somebody preach three times a week. And you may not know the Bible. Unless you go and you open it and you practice it in your own life. Unless you make it part of you. But there are hearers of the word that are not doers of the word. And the Bible says they're deceiving their own, them own selves. If that's even proper sentence. Self-deception. It's not enough to know what God said. We've got to practice it. One of the things that I told myself I was not going to do was something I'd heard my dad say to us. Do as I say, not as I do. You know, I've had to backtrack on that a few times with the kids. <laughs> That's awful hard, isn't it? It, it? It's easy to say and not do it yourself. 
Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be not deceived. I heard a fellow say one time that he planned on sowing some wild oats and he's going to pray for a crop failure. Don't work that way, folks. You know, it took me a lot of years to realize that some of the stuff I was doing when I was young was going to come back to haunt you when you're old. You know, I always like to mess with horses. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you like to mess with horses, that's fine. Some of the ones we got on were not exactly gentle. <laughs> and some of them, well, the Bible says Jesus sat on a colt on which man had never sat. I've got some horses man still hadn't sat on. <laughs> so I go to this doctor a while back. I had a little problem, and he did a MRI thing, whatever it was. They call that thing. He came back and goes, do you know that you've had four broke ribs and three compressed vertebrae? No. I know it today. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize, yeah, maybe that high-impact stuff wasn't as fun as it was back then. You know, I finally had to give some of that up. I don't bounce as good as I used to. You just kind of plop down there, and then you stay a while. Things you do when you're young catch up with you when you're old. I want you to know that it works that way in your spiritual life as well. The Bible says to seek thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days come in the book of Ecclesiastes. Do you know what that means? That means young people, you don't have to make the same mistakes these old people made. But you will. You're not going to avoid them. Because we seem to have to learn things the hard way, don't we? And when mom and dad and grandmother and granddad and older people are telling you this is going to hurt you. And you think they're just old and senile. No, they're hurting. Because <laughs> they were once your age and they could leap tall buildings in a single bound. But it caught up. Seek your creator when you're young before you make those terrible mistakes that hurt you and can destroy your life. Why are you here? What motivates you? What do you want out of it? I got to thinking about some of the people that Jesus dealt with at the time of the crucifixion. And different ones were there and they served a purpose. And there was one fellow that just don't belong in the story. And I want to share some of my thoughts about some of these people that were around Jesus at the time of the crucifixion. But I want you to understand something. You cannot come in contact with Jesus and ever be the same again, whether you accept him or reject him. I'm going to tell you about some people. Some of them accepted him. Some of them killed him. But they were never the same again. Once you hear the gospel story and you know what Jesus wants you to do, you will never be the same even if you reject him. You can't come in contact with the master and be the same person. I want you to know that. I got to thinking about Judas. That's obvious. Luke 22, 5 to 6, the rulers coveted with Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Did you ever think about that? Oh, Judas sold Jesus out. He sold the Son of God out for 30 pieces of silver. Now, if you read the Bible, why do you think Judas did that? 
I don't think Judas ever thought Jesus was going to be taken. I don't think he intended to betray the Lord and that the Lord would be crucified. Personally, you believe what you want to. You see, the Bible tells us earlier, Judas was the treasurer. He held the money bag. And the Bible tells us he was a thief. Judas run a scam on the Pharisees. That's what he thought he was doing. You see, he had been around Jesus before when they come to make him a king, and Jesus passed through their midst. Remember those verses? Judas goes, I'm going to get 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to put it in my pocket. Jesus will pass through the midst. Ain't my problem. Only this time they took him. And they beat him and they killed him. This time it didn't work. Now what's a piece of silver worth? How big was a piece of silver? Was it an ounce? How much would 30 ounces of silver be worth? Say it's worth several thousand dollars. That's what his soul was worth. Because that's what Judas sold it for. And that's what motivated him. He found a way to make money. And he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver, whatever it was worth. My guess is it wasn't worth it because he went out and hung himself. But before I judge old Judas too hard, I want you to think about something. Years ago, Bev and I were first married. We didn't have any children. I got a chance to take a really good job. And I had a decent job. We made a living and all that. We weren't starving. But I had a chance to take a really good job. It would pay three times what I was making, and not that we needed it. We always need a raise. Come on, people. That's the American way, isn't it? At any rate, I went to church one, one Sunday, and there's an old brother that you sit right in the front named Arch Haining. And I said, Brother Archie, I need to talk to you. I've got a problem. And he said, okay, and he took me to the side. I said, I've got a chance to take this really good job and make more money than we've ever made, but i got to work on Sunday mornings. He never hesitated. He didn't say yay or nay, but he said, Marlon, I've walked away from some good jobs so I could worship my God. And then he turned around and walked off. I guess he figured I would figure it out. I'm going, what is the meaning? Apparently, don't take that. Worship your... But you know what? Judas was selling out for 30 pieces of silver. I was selling out for a raise. You think I'd have kept going to church if I'd have been doing that? How much money would it take for you to walk away? What would you sell your soul for? I know the price Judas got. I know the price I was thinking about taking. I'm glad that old man gave me that advice. He was very wise. Because I've been a lot better off walking away from it. You know what was weird about that whole deal? Had I took that job, it wasn't several years later till that company closed its doors and moved out of Texas. <laughs> then where would we have been? I had somebody give me good advice. What about Simon Peter? What motivated Peter? You know, he's the one to ask the Lord. You know, the Lord come to him and They'd taken the Lord's Supper, or he had instituted it there, done the Passover and all that in Luke 22, about verse 31 or so. And he come to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, old buddy, 
Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. But when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, Lord, you know you're not just talking to your average run-of-the-mill apostle. This is Simon Peter. The one that you said upon this rock to, I'll build my church and give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The one that let 3,000 in on the day of judgment, the day of judgment, day of Pentecost. This special man. Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. I could make that boast. Simon, before the cock crows, you're going to deny three times that you know me. You know, the book of Matthew makes it very plain. Now, sometimes, folks, we've had failures in our life. I know that. I've fallen short and done things that I'm not proud of. But nobody wrote it in a book for people to read for the next 2,000 years. <laughs> not only does it say he denied the Lord, the book of Matthew said it with cursing and swearing. He denied, I know not the man. The rooster crowed, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, I want you to think about this. Peter wasn't a coward, folks. He wasn't scared. When they come to take Jesus in the garden, Peter had a sword. And when they come to take him, he stepped between the Lord, very John Wayne-ish if you ask me, stepped between the Lord and the crowd, and he pulled that sword out and said, you may take him, but you're coming over me to get him, and I'm going to take as many of you with me as I can. And he swung that sword, and he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, you believe what you want to about this fisherman. I don't believe he was aiming for his ear. I believe he intended to cut his head off, and the guy ducked, and he got his ear. And then the Lord said, Peter, put your sword away. You live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Put it away. You mean we're just going to let him take us and do this? Peter was ready for a fight. Now, brethren, I know most of you would have been in the same boat like I was. I'm there with Peter. Let's fight them. We may die trying, but let's go down swinging. Don't just let them take us. But that's not the battle the Lord wanted Peter to fight. and It's not the battle he wants me and you to fight. It was a spiritual battle. And Peter wasn't ready for that. You know, I know sometimes my brethren would rather go down swinging than to have a bruised ego. You ever had anybody make fun of you? You ever had anybody slam a door in your face when you're trying to visit them about church? I know brethren that say, you know, we went out and we knocked on them doors and they slammed doors. People got mad. We ain't doing that no more. You didn't even have to hit them. Sometimes people ask Craig, they go, how did you evangelists learn to take rejection like that? I learned it asking girls out in high school. I don't know how Craig learned it. <laughs> but if I'd have said, oh, man, she won't go out with me. The one I married turned me down three times before she said yes. I know we'd rather have a broke bone than a bruised ego. Peter was motivated in this case because he wasn't ready to fight the battle the Lord wanted him to fight. So before we judge Peter too hard, think about the times we've decided, I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be different. I don't want people to think I'm strange. You know, I didn't have to be a Christian for people to think I was weird. 
So it just kind of comes natural for some of us, but some of you really got it going on. What motivates you? Why do you go do those things? Peter, at this occasion, was motivated by fear. Now, when you're converted, and he was, strengthen your brethren. And he eventually died a martyr's death for the Lord. But I believe Peter spent his whole life trying to make up for that. What about Pontius Pilate? Now, I know he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but you remember what I told you? You don't come in contact with Jesus and never be the same again. The Jews had a custom, as I've read about, that when somebody come before the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin or the, the elders, whatever, and they condemned them in some way to death or whatever, the priest would wash his hands, or the high priest would, in water, saying, your blood's on you, you're guilty. It's not on me. So when Pilate took water and washed his hands in Matthew 27, he was probably throwing it back at the Jews, their own custom. But what he was saying whenever he said he could not stop the tumult, he saw a tumult, a riot was going to be made. He took water and washed his hands and said, see you to it, I'm innocent of this, this man's blood. You see the problem though, folks? You can't wash your hands and say, I'm going to have nothing to do with it. And Pilate couldn't either. No more than me and you can. I've had people tell me, I'm just not going to make a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. <laughs> when you hear about Jesus, you cannot wash your hands and walk away. Now, I feel sorry for Pilate in a way. I don't know whether he was ruthless or he was a coward or a little of both. But I know he answered to Rome. And these were not friendly folks. And he had two jobs, keep the tax money coming and no riots. Riots cost money. And that's why he did it. And so if one Jewish fella had to die to keep everything running smoothly, who cares? He was a politician. His wife had come to him and said, I've had a dream about this man. This is bad. Don't do this. Pilate did it anyway. Within two years of the crucifixion, Pilate committed suicide. Now, I've read books by historians, and they say the crucifixion of Jesus played no part in it. Right. Very good. <laughs> I'm sure it had nothing to do with it. You killed the Son of God. I'm sure it didn't have a thing to do with it. See, old Pilate was never the same after that, was he? He didn't heed the warning that his wife gave him in the vision she saw. And he couldn't wash his hands and walk away. And you can't either. Once you know who Jesus is, you cannot wash your hands and pretend like you don't know anything. And your life is going to be changed forever. Either positive or negative. But you will not be the same once you come in contact with the master. And Pilate wasn't either. What motivated him? What motivated him was greed and power. Keeping Rome happy. And that's why he killed Jesus. I had an epiphany a while back because it's been debated. Did the Jews kill Jesus or did Rome? The Jews brought him to trial. Rome put him on the cross. So who killed him? I hear it debated in the media. 
I was reading a verse that said, He is not the propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. You see, in Israel, there were only two kinds of people. Did you know that? There was Jews. Stay with me, folks. There was Jews and there was Gentiles. That was it. You know what put Jesus on the cross? It wasn't the Jews and it wasn't the Romans. It was the whole world. The Jews and the Gentiles. And we're all guilty. And I may not have big sin like Peter did. I may have what I consider little sin. But my little sin put him on the cross just like your big sin did. And so don't judge Pilate too hard because we put him on the cross. The propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. What are you going to do with him? You're going to wash your hands and walk away? What motivates you? I told you there's a guy that doesn't belong in the story in a minute. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, unfortunately, <laughs> this guy is exactly like most people. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, I believe it is, you're going to read about a man that had come out of the country by the name of Simon the Cyrenian, whom they compelled to carry his cross. You know what that means? Oh, they could be very persuasive too, by the way. When the Romans compelled you, they didn't just say, hey, would you please pick that up? I mean, you know, help us out here. <laughs> they pulled the sword out and said, Mr. Pick up that cross. You know what Simon was doing? Simon was standing in the crowd watching the show. That's what he was doing. He didn't intend to get involved in this. He was just there to see what was going on. And they said, pick up that cross. Now, I know in some of the TV shows where they show Simon the Cyrenian, he picks the cross up and talks to Jesus like he's a follower. The Bible doesn't indicate that. He was just standing there. He wasn't involved at all. And you know that's the way most people are? Here's the funny thing about Simon. He'd come to Jerusalem for a reason. Passover. Worship God. You know, I'm sure he had sat and heard preachers talk about the Messiah that would come and die for the sins of the world and redeem Israel. And I'm sure he, like many others older than him, had prayed for the day that God would deliver his people. And he's watching it and doesn't even know it. It's transpiring right before his very eyes. And he don't have a clue. People, God's working today. God works through the gospel and he changes lives today just like he did in the first century. And we're watching the mighty works of God go on. Do we even have a clue what we're seeing? Are you involved? Are you part of it? Or are you just watching the show? Why are you here? Simon wasn't there to get involved, I guarantee it. I used to sing a song when I was a boy <clears throat> that I always liked. And I grew up outside of the church. I want you all to understand that so you know what I'm talking about. Where he leads, I will follow. 
I will go with him all the way. You probably heard that old song. I never dreamed it would lead to here. <laughs> with you good folks. But that's where the path led. And there have been a number of times along that path that the old fat boy had to make a decision. Am I going to follow him? Because I know that's what's right. Or am I going to go a different direction? Many of you have probably had that same thing in your life. Forks in the road. Where he leads, I will follow. Are we just looking on like Simon did? We really didn't intend to get real involved in this thing. Maybe we're treating it like a little fire insurance. Probably be a pretty good idea to be a member of the church, if nothing else, and just in case they're right. <laughs> but let's don't get too heavy with it. Sometimes my kids remind me, you know, Dad, not everybody's rabid about this stuff as you are. I love the word rabid. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's a disease now. Are you involved? Are you committed to the Lord? Are you just watching the show? The last guy I want to mention to you is a guy that I think a lot of. At the foot of the cross, name was John. John chapter 19 over there. You know what Jesus' last worldly thought was? He looked down from the cross and he saw his mom. You boys, you love your mama. Because ain't nobody ever going to love you like mama. I guarantee it. You know what I've always wanted to do? I digress here. Stay with me though. I always wanted to meet the boy that led all the others astray. This kid's got to be a humdinger. Have you ever heard a mom say, Oh, my kid was terrible. He's awful. He led all them other kids astray. You remember Don, 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 John Dillinger? You probably don't. Google that if you're young. He was a gangster. I mean a notorious killer. Killed lots of people. Loved the automatic machine gun stuff that they used back then. When he was killed, his mama goes, he was really a good boy, didn't intend to hurt nobody, he just fell in with a bad crowd. Are we talking about the same kid? <laughs> nobody going to love you like mama. So Jesus looked down and saw his mom and, and saw the disciple whom he loved. And he said, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. The Bible says from that day forward, he took her to his own house and took care of Jesus' mom. You know what that tells me? Jesus trusted him with his mother and her care. And he didn't have to worry about it. It was done. This disciple was the kind that when the Lord said, here's what I need you to do, he didn't have to look over his shoulder. He didn't have to watch him every minute. He knew he was going to take care of it. That's what the Lord's looking for. Is that the kind of disciple we are? That whatever task it is, how big, great, small, the Lord can say, take care of that. And he don't have to worry about it no more. It's going to be done. Because we're going to take care of it. Why are you here? I know what was motivating some of these folks, what was moving them. What's moving you? What are you wanting out of this? You really committed to him? Let me give you one last thought. We love him because he first loved us. 
Greater love hath no man than this, than a man will lay down his life for his friends. There's a verse of scripture that I just chokes me up. Because it's talking about me and you. Thomas hadn't been among the apostles when the Lord first appeared. And so he told them, unless I touch the nail prints and feel his side, I'm not going to believe. My dad was a preacher, and he used to preach about the day that Thomas missed church. <laughs> and Jesus showed up. Wouldn't that be a bummer? <laughs> but the Lord appeared again, and Thomas was there. And the Lord walked right up to him. And he said, feel my hands. And Thomas did. And he fell down, and he said, my Lord and my God. What Jesus said next is what moves me. Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen and have believed. But blessed are those that have not seen and have yet believed. That's me and you. You know, if somebody laid down their life for you or to save one of your family members, how would you repay them? What would you give them? What would they mean to you? I hear stories all the time of guys in battle that throw themselves on the grenade so their friends can live. Those men never forget him. They honor him the rest of their life. He laid down his life. Blessed are you that have not seen and yet have believed. If you're here tonight, you've come in contact with Jesus. Make a decision for him as we stand and sing.